Ephesians. We're in the middle of the fourth chapter. We're going to begin in the seventh verse today. And as we do, um, the theme for this morning is oftentimes when we realize we're not good enough, I don't know about you, but I kind of try to find a way to learn, to grow, to be better, right? Now, a while ago, you'd go watch Oprah, maybe, and hope Oprah could give you some insight into how to be a better person. Or you might find a self-help book on, Lord, I need help parenting. Show me how to be a better parent, or show me how to be a better leader and servant and team member at work, or whatever it is, how to be a better spouse. We look for self-help material. But what I want you to notice today is Paul says the foundation of us living our best life and being our best self is with the help of the church. Church, through church, God seeks to take us average, ordinary folk and make us a little extraordinary. And uh, he's going to share with us today why that's so important in the church and in our lives. For example, last Sunday we looked at how a part of the attitude in our relationships should be a combination of humility and gentleness. It should be bearing with each other in love. It should be maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, right? We talked about how that should shape who we are as a church family. But that's not just good advice for a church family. That's good advice for your family and my family, right? And how I can be a better spouse and how I can be a better friend or a better co-worker or a better parent or a better son or daughter, right? All that is very practical advice that calls us to be better than we are. And so here is where Paul takes us next in the seventh verse. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ the Messiah apportioned it. And this is why it says in the Psalms, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. He gave gifts to his people. Now, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. You see, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ the Messiah. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows, it builds itself up in love as each part, as each part does its work. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can you pray with me and for me? Come, Lord Jesus, help us lift you up, for we are your body. 
and we need you to be our head to guide our way. Come, Holy Spirit, and stir up in our hearts and lives that next step of faith for us as a disciple that we need to take to be the best we can be for your glory. I pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So as Paul shares with us today, he's excited. He has good news to share about how the church of Jesus can help you be your very best. How a church that's multicultural, multiracial, multi in all its dynamics, diverse, can help us be the best we can be. To do this, he quotes an old psalm, Psalm 68, I believe is the psalm. And in quoting this psalm, he actually quotes from the Greek version. It says this, He ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. And I know when I was a younger Christian, I read that and I said, Paul, what in the heck are you talking about? i like, what does that even mean? It wasn't until I read one of my favorite authors, his name is Stephen Lawhead, uh, that I kind of got a glimpse of that. Stephen Lawhead is a Christian follower of Jesus who for years has written uh, sort of fantasy books in sort of the Robin Hood. He's done a Robin Hood series, a Merlin and uh, King Arthur series. He's done all sorts of fun stuff that I enjoy reading like that. But uh, in his sharing in one of those books, he described a king who was having a victory parade, right? Now, we kind of know what it's like to have a victory parade as well, especially kind of way back. Remember to World War II? how everybody was so excited that the war was won, everything was done. And in New York, what happened? They had this huge parade, right, with, uh, with servicemen and women walking down the street, with generals, with presidents. The ticker tape was falling down. Re remember that? Okay, that's what he's talking about right here. That's what he's after. He's saying Jesus is the king of the universe. And so Jesus is a conquering hero who comes, and it's time to celebrate Jesus' ticker tape parade. Amen? And so this is kind of how he explains it. He says, now I know it says he ascended on high. In order to ascend, he's got to go down first. And we know Jesus came down. We know he came down to earth and was born as a human being. We know that he taught us for at least three years how to live life to the full. And then he went and died on a cross. And in that death, he descended even further to the realm of the dead and the realm of death. Uh, and, and there he conquered death too. And as he conquered death, he rose again from the tomb on the third day. And after rising from the grave, he ascended not just into heaven, Paul writes, he ascended above the heavens, outside of the universe, into the realm of God, so that Jesus could be known because he is as the one who fills the whole universe. He is king of all. And this king, in ancient times, if Caesar wins a battle, let's say he uh, you know, conquers a nation and you know, grows new territory, guess what? He gets all their gold and all their money and all their precious things, their precious pictures and their precious statues. And when he comes home in his victory parade, guess what the king does? He rewards his people. 
and says, here, I've got some stuff. And because you've been a part of my team and you've been a part of my battle, you're a part of my victory. And so I have gifts to give you to share in this great victory. So that's what Paul's after. He's saying, people of God, guess what? God is a good God. And because Jesus has conquered, you have gifts you didn't even know about. And it's time for us to claim our gifts in Christ Jesus. He goes on and explains some of the basics of these gifts, and he gives us five giftings. And you'll notice these five aren't all the gifts in the New Testament, right? Y'all know, how many know there's more gifts than these five in the New Testament? All right, good. We've got some Bible students out there. There's a whole lot more. There's about, probably about 20 at least. You might could make up some more. But anyway, he mentions these five. He mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And in doing so, I think the reason he has given these five is the five first gifts is because these are servant leader gifts. These are servant leader gifts. And as he says here, the servant leader's job is to equip all of us for works of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so he shares these five with us. So what kind of leadership gifts are here? And, and one of the things that you need to know is I do, I do not, you know, here I'm your pastor, right? The, your preacher. I don't have all five of these gifts. I'm, I'm quite certain of it. I mean, I can probably use five some degree, shape, or form, but I don't have them all because that's why I need you. And that's why God needs you, ordinary people, to claim your gifts, to use your gifts, to celebrate your gifts, right? And so here are the gifts. The first gift is the gift of apostleship. The gift of apostleship, we think, well, that's just something Peter and the disciples had and maybe Paul, but it's not around anymore. No, the gift of apostleship is still active here in our world today. And what I, the sense I've gotten from the New Testament is it goes kind of like this. The word apostle means to be sent out by your commanding officer, right? To be sent out by Jesus on a mission. And so apostles are a sent out people. Sometimes we call them missionaries. Missionaries is one area of leadership. But I think in a more general sense, an apostle is someone who, uh, who takes what Jesus has given and they, they, tend to have a, they tend to be good leaders, number one. They tend to be kind of entrepreneurial. You know what an entrepreneur is, right? Someone who likes to start new things and to do things that haven't been done before. An apostle is like that. Apostle may plant a new church, or apostle may start a new ministry, or an apostle may take on a, a ministry team that we've never had before, but an apostle would step up and say, hey, I'm willing to give that a go and put my energy and effort behind it, and let's see what God does, right? That's an apostle. An apostle is someone who has the leadership gifts to try something new for the kingdom of God or for Conyers First United Methodist Church. That's the gift of apostleship. And sometimes it can be a missionary who does those new things in other places of the world. The second one is the prophet. The prophet is the one who, uh, and Paul said the prophet is the most important of all the gifts. It's, it's the one, if you're going to ask God for a gift, ask him for the gift of prophecy. And the reason he saw that as the most important is because it's the prophet who keeps uh, the body on the right track. 
It's the prophet who keeps the body on the right track. The prophet gives us the word of God we need to hear in a particular moment, in a particular place, at a particular time, to, to say, oh, I just heard what they had to say. You know, that thing, uh, that old commercial, when E.F. Hutton talks, right, people do what? Listen, right? When a prophet speaks, you better keep your ears open and listen. Now, oftentimes, a prophet may say stuff you don't want to hear, right? Uh, I think one of the greatest prophets of our country, uh, maybe I've mentioned this before, I think was Martin Luther King, Jr. He came at the right place at the right time in the right season to help move us away from segregation into integration, into having a new reality of who God wanted us to be as human beings. And if he hadn't been there to be that prophetic voice in that moment in our country's history, I think things would have been a whole lot more violent in the 60s and 70s than they were, right? So Martin Luther King Jr. was a prophet, and he paid for it with his life. And often prophets, if they're at cutting edge, they pay for it with their lives because oftentimes they'll step on your toes a bit telling you something you may not want to hear so third the third gift is evangelist an evangelist is someone who loves to share jesus someone who loves to share jesus so if if uh, if you like talking about jesus and teaching your family about jesus uh you know and if you've seen two or three people come to faith in christ you might be the you probably have the gift of the evangelist right and, uh, and so you love to help new people encounter Jesus by sharing the good news of his love. Now, with all these, there's a couple of dynamics before I go any further that, that I want to make sure that we kind of get and understand. First, these leadership gifts, one, you, you need to use your gift because the church needs you to use your gift if we're to be a healthy church. And if we're not a healthy church, then we can't have healthy people. And if we don't have healthy people, then then we're, we're not doing what the Lord wants us to do. So we need you to use your gift. But the second thing with this is that these leadership gifts, they don't, just, they don't just use their gifts. They help those who are young in their gifts to learn how to use their gifts, right? So an apostle tries to find other apostles and show them how to be an apostle. And an evangelist tries to get together with other people and teach them how to do evangelism, knowing that some of them will have the evangelist gift too, and that they can learn how to do it in great ways that maybe some people couldn't. And a prophet tries to find other prophets and help them teach them how to, how to use that gift well. And a pastor teacher tries to help train other pastor teachers so they can be, you get what I'm saying? No, I guess not. Right? Disciples make disciples disciples make if you have a job for instance if you have a role in this church if you're an usher if you're on the mission team you know whoever you are uh, you not you're not just supposed to do your job we need you to find somebody who is kind of like you a little bit and help them figure out how to do your job so that if you go on vacation you can say hey you're my disciple i now give this ministry to you while i'm gone right that's what's that's discipleship and all of us can be a disciple whether we're discipling people about how to 
how to do music or discipling people how to be tech people or discipling how to be ushers, whatever it is, you're always trying to find new people to bring in, new people to train, new people to raise up, because that's, that's, how, that's how we equip the saints for the work of ministry, amen? That's what it's all about. It's not about me doing ministry for you. That's not why I'm here. If I do my job, I work myself out of a job, and you do the job, Amen? That's what it's all about. My job is to work myself out of a job so that you do the job that God has called you to do. And if we all do the jobs God's called us to do, then we become what what Paul says is a healthy church, and a healthy church produces kingdom people. But we're not quite there yet. The last one is pastor-teacher, and and I think that's probably some of my main gifting is is in pastor-teaching. And they they usually combine those two. The pastor is the shepherd part that tries to help the the people of God stay together. Uh, The teaching part helps equip us in uh, in ways so that we can be more effective as disciples. So all these five, they're leadership gifts, and we use these leadership gifts to equip the folks for works of service. Now, I know sometimes the second thing is, is we say, well, Chris, I don't have any of those gifts, and I'm just an ordinary person, right? That was a great song, by the way. Uh, you know, I'm just an ordinary person. I, I can't really do it much of anything. And y'all, that's, that's really not true. Um, and I, I want to give you a quick example of why we have really no excuse. Um, this, is, this is a book that I have called T for T. It means training for trainers. And it's about uh, making disciples all over the world. And they've used this model. And it's a particular model of disciples making disciples making disciples. And so this guy is, is training groups of how to, people how to follow Jesus, right? And so these are some of his early groups and what he found in his life. He said, I found that God had prepared many persons of peace in different towns and villages that, that he could connect with in relationship. Jesus talks about that. As time went by, we heard a lot of remarkable testimonies. In that year, there was a lady who was 67 years old, and when she became a Christian in that year, she led over 46 families to become Christians. Families, families, not individual people. In another town, there was another man. He was 26 years old. In two months, he led over 20 families to become Christian. I'd say they have the gift of evangelism, don't you? Maybe apostleship as well. I almost put those together. In another dis- district, there was a lady working in a factory, and someone shared the good news of Christ with her. She received Jesus. On the second day, we went back, and we couldn't find her. After three weeks, she came back, and Grace asked her, Where have you been? She said, Well, the night someone shared with me, I cried the whole night because I had received Jesus, and I thought, Who can share the gospel with my family? So the next day, she borrowed money, bought a ticket, flew back to a city in another area of the country that is less receptive to the gospel, and in three weeks, she had led 26 people to Christ. Three examples of people who have been Christians for about a week or two weeks. Think about that. They have been Christians for how long? One week or two weeks. What little they have learned they have already poured in to what 70 families 70 families are you kidding and yet we think well to use these gifts i have to go to seminary for three years and i'm not called to go to seminary or we think well you know i've got to 
learned my Bible more, and I don't really know it that well, and so I guess I can't really tell anybody too much because I can't answer all their questions. You know, we come up with excuses, don't we? But brothers and sisters, there is no excuse. Just share Jesus. Just share Jesus. You may not have all the answers, but just share what you know. If you're a little bit ahead of somebody else, you've got something to offer. And that's how it works. And so that's what Paul writes for us. He says, listen, as we do this, as we equip the saints for the work of ministry, the whole body of Christ is built up until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now that word mature, if, if uh, our John Wesley was here, uh, the little in the Greek there is, is perfect person. If we would become a perfect person... It, that's the way Wesley liked to translate it, teleos, perfection, a perfect person. It, but the idea is maturity, that we become a person who isn't perfect completely, but we become a person who is mature in the faith in a way, especially in the component of love for God and love for other people. You know you're growing in maturity when you can love God and love others, especially others who five years ago you would have said, they're my enemies. There are people I don't want to hang out with, I don't really like. And now, you know what? I love hanging out with them. I learned so much from them, right? And so that's what Paul is saying here, is that, that we can become perfect in love, is the term Wesley loved to use. And both, both times he talks about this, both that we speak the truth in love, and then at the end, that the body builds itself up in love. So love is at the heart of this. The other thing that's at the heart of this is a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus, right? He talks here about having the knowledge of Christ and to growing up into the head who is Christ. Both those terms, he's not talking about your brain, principally. I mean, your brain's part of it. He's talking about your relational experience. He's talking about knowing that Jesus is your friend and your Savior and your Lord to, have, to know what Jesus loves and to want to love like Jesus, to know what Jesus would do and to do things like Jesus. You know, that's what he's talking about, this relationship kind of experience um, is who we're to be. And so in all of this, brothers and sisters, what, what uh, Paul, is, uh, his ultimate vision really is uh, our mission, right, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's, that's what Paul has in mind. The church will receive these gifts from Jesus and then use these gifts from Jesus to build all of us up to maturity so that we can be the strong body of Christ and we as individuals can be the best we can be because, he says, you know, it's time to not be an infant anymore. We're not to be infants anymore because infants you know they hear something cool and they say oh I, i'll follow that or i'll do this you know someone comes along back then it would have been someone would come along and say hey uh you know you're a greek follower of jesus well you need to be circumcised and if you're not circumcised then you're not in the way or you need to stop eating pork and shrimp right and if you're not doing that then you're not in the way and they'd come up with all these other things to get the infant off track headed down the wrong direction emphasizing the wrong things and uh, Paul says we're not to be infants anymore, tossed back and forth. Uh, we're to watch out and, and be able to see and understand when schemes come up. 
Instead, we speak the truth in love and grow to maturity. And so I, I want to share with you kind of, again, what this looks like in terms of discipleship. Uh, I've been reading another book by Jim Putnam and Bobby Harrington called Disciple Shift, and they talk about what discipleship looks like in a way that I hadn't thought about before. So I want to share that with you. First thing they says is, for each of us, we are in one of five stages of the discipleship process. We're in one of five stages, all right? The first stage is we're dead. If we're dead in faith, we don't know Jesus. If we don't know Jesus, then we're lost. And the first thing is, is we need to come to faith with the good news of Jesus, right? And so when we come to faith, then we are born again as a, as a child of God. And in that new birth, we then have four more stages to go through. The first one, Paul has mentioned right here, we start as infants in the faith. We start as infants in the faith. And if you're an infant in the faith, then you may say things like this. You know what? I didn't know the Bible said that. Tithing? What's tithing? You know what? I really don't need anyone else. Just me and Jesus. You know, we can go out and you know, I can, I can get out in the wilderness, and that's all I need. I don't need any church stuff. Uh, I know Jesus is God, but isn't karma also real? What about other ways? Uh, my wife and I got baptized, and on the way home, we got into a fight. What's with that? Right? All right? If you're an infant, you're asking those kind of just basic questions, trying to figure out, what is this Jesus thing? Hopefully you don't stay at infant very long. Hopefully you grow from there and you become a child in the faith. Now, the thing is, once we reach the spiritual stage of childhood, uh, we tend to make the faith all about us. It's about my enjoyment. So we may say things like this. I don't know if the church is meeting my needs anymore, so maybe I should go to a different church instead. Or... Say something like, uh, why do we have to learn new songs and sing new songs? I just like the old hymns. We ought to stick with those hymns, and that, that's it. Someone else might say, I didn't like the music at all today. Man, the choir was, really blew it, right? They're no good at all. No one ever says hi to me at church. No one ever calls me to see how I'm doing. No one spends time with me. The pastors don't care about me. Today in the lobby, the pastor looked right at me and didn't even say hello. Now, if I did that, I'm sorry. Right? Uh, why don't they do ministry for singles at this church? This church must not care about singles. Well, I joined the worship team, but no one has ever asked me. All these things show a child. And listen, you can be in worship for 40 years. You can be in Sunday school for 40 years and you can still be a child in the faith because when it comes down to it, if you're honest, my place in the church is really all about me. Right? I mean, we can stay stuck in some of these longer than we should. So instead, we need to grow and become more of a young adult is the third stage. Young adults will begin to say things like, you know what, in my devotions, I came across something and I have a question about it. I want to learn more. 
uh, may say stuff like, I want to go to Uganda on a mission trip. Or I want to go to Honduras. I'm excited what God might do if I go out on a mission trip with God. And uh, say stuff like, three, I have three friends I've been witnessing to in our small group. It'll be too big for them. So can we break up our group into two groups? Right? Or say things like, look how many are at church today. It is awesome. I had to park two blocks away from church. Right? I had to get a ride in on the go-kart. That is terrific. I want to park further away next week. Right? That's a sign of a spiritual young adult. It's not about me anymore. It's about what God is doing. And then last is spiritual adulthood. Spiritual adulthood. Say things like this. You know, I know Bill. I wonder if God's leading me to invest in Bill and help him grow in his faith. Or, you know what? Um, the most important discipleship is with my children. So I want to ask you guys, will you help me lead devotionals with my kids on a daily basis so I don't get too busy for them? Or say things like, I have a spiritual child in my small group and they're causing all sorts of conflicts. Pray that I have patience to lead them through this difficult stage and help them grow a little more. Or I have a young adult in my group who is ready to be apprenticed and it won't be long for them to be leading a group too. A spiritual parent begins to realize what God is up to and participating with him in that journey. Brothers and sisters, this is what Paul's talking about. We're to be parents, mature, spiritual people, not infants. He has put in us a desire for discipleship, and the heart of our discipleship are our connect groups. Sunday school's okay, and other stuff's okay, worship is okay, but finding a place where you can grow and take that next step in your faith journey cannot be replaced and so brothers and sisters i offer you today just uh, claim your gift be equipped with your gift grow in your gift and let's help god's church be the best it can be for his glory in the name of the father son and holy spirit